And Jesus comes and heals him. And so literally on the next day of that, after that, it says the next day in verse 12, look with me in John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. All exclaiming in his Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. This was a large crowd that came for the greatest holiday of Judaism, Passover. Many of them came from Galilee. When they came, they came with lambs. Jewish law required that the Passover lamb live with the family for at least three days before the sacrifice. When Jesus came and went into Jerusalem, lambs for sacrifice would surround him and everyone else. The multitude gathered for something that was like a patriotic parade. Palm branches were a symbol of Jewish nationalism since the time of the Maccabees. The crowd looked to Jesus as a political and national savior, but not so much as a spiritual savior. Now let's join Pastor Rob for today's lesson. If we could open our Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 12. We've been making our way through the Gospel of John, and this morning we're going to be looking at one of the most significant things, prophecies really, the fulfillment of prophecy in the entire Bible. And so pretty significant, and this is a topic that we have looked at before, so this may be new to some of you, and for some of you it will be new. Um, But let's take a look at it. You recall that when we got together last week, we looked at this, the first uh, really 11 verses of John chapter 12, and Jesus is looking uh, very closely toward the end of his life here on the earth. And in fact, as we look at chapters 12 through the end of the book, it really encompasses just a few days. And especially chapters 13 through 18 really specifically talk about just about a 24, maybe 36-hour period of Jesus' life. And we know that as the the Last Supper and the events surrounding his uh, arrest and certainly his crucifixion, and three days later, his resurrection. But right now, we're getting into just like a week prior to all of that happening. And you recall last week, we looked at Jesus coming to Bethany, and this is after he had raised Lazarus, his friend, from the grave, raised him from the dead, creating quite a stir among the Jews and the religious leaders. Because no one has been able to do that ever. And here Jesus, the one who had been prophesied of for hundreds of years, even a few thousand years, it had been prophesied that he would come and that he would accomplish all of these things. 
And so he raises Lazarus from the dead. And then it tells us that, um, that they made a supper for him. And we saw the extravagant worship of Mary. Not Mary, his mother, but Mary and Martha, who were the sisters of Lazarus. But this Mary of Bethany, she takes this jar of spikenard, which was very, uh, very costly, worth a year's wages, literally. That's what the Bible tells us. So it was an extravagant worship. And is Jesus worthy to be worshipped? I mean, is there anything too big or too small that you can worship him with? There isn't. But Mary's heart was so filled with joy because Jesus has, had raised her brother from the grave. And so she was very thankful, as we all ought to be when we think about all the things that God has done for us. In fact, as we've just come off of Thanksgiving, we give thanks for all that God has done in our lives, for salvation, for bringing us into a country where we can live and we have liberty and freedom. And do you realize what we have here in America is so unlike any other place in the world? We are a very blessed nation, an extremely blessed nation, and it's worth fighting for. And it's worth standing up and, 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 and making our voices known. And so we have a lot to be thankful for. But Mary was especially thankful because Jesus had raised her brother. And the Bible makes no mention of, of, of their parents, these three siblings, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. It makes no mention of their parents. It's very likely that Lazarus was the breadwinner. Being the eldest son, being the only son, he would be responsible for taking care of his sisters. And so to have him dead would have created an undue strain on them in a significant way. But Jesus raised him, his friend. He raised him from the grave. And we looked at that. We saw just the extravagant worship of Mary. And I love that. There's really, uh, this to us, to me personally, is a good example for us to follow. That when we worship Christ, we don't just, you know, don't be afraid to go all out in whatever it is. In whatever it is, he's worthy of it, no matter what. I mean, if you could give him all the gold in the world, do you think that would, that would be a big deal to him? No, he made it. <laughs> right? It says the heavens declared the glory of, or I'm sorry, excuse me, that he made everything. In Genesis 1 verse 1, God created. He spoke it all into existence. So it's no big deal to him. So we looked at that, and right on the heels of that, we we find that the religious leaders, they not only wanted to put Jesus to death because of this miracle that he did, but they also wanted to put Lazarus back to death. He died, he was risen, he was raised from the grave. They want to kill him again because of the significance of that event. So now they got two people they want to kill. They want to kill Jesus because they're jealous of him. And they want to kill Lazarus because he is a reminder of their impotence, of their lack of power. And Jesus comes and heals him. And so literally on the next day of that, after that, it says the next day in verse 12, look with me in John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, he sat on it, and as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. 
And his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now, John's gospel here uh, speaks very little about this event, but we know this is one of the events in the Bible where all four gospels cover this, this significant event, and they all cover it because it is significant. We're going to look at that this morning, but I'd like for you to turn over with me to Matthew's gospel in the 21st chapter, because we're going to read, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to read a little bit more about it, and then we're going to zap over to Luke's gospel for just a couple of verses. And I'm bringing this, I'm, I'm, I'm stringing this along to you so that you get the bigger picture, because remember, the gospels were written, and each gospel, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are called the synoptic gospels. So they cover similar material, similar events in Jesus' life. Excuse me, this dry air is really... uh, Anybody having a problem with that? (laughs) But the synoptic gospels, they call them that because they cover similar events. But John's gospel, written uh, much later than the other three gospels, is very different. We know the reason for that because he wanted to show that, that Jesus is God, that believing in him we might have life through his name. That was the whole thrust behind John's gospel is to show the deity of Jesus Christ. Not that the other Gospels didn't, but that this Gospel is very specific. It has one goal, and that's just to show that this is the Word of God become flesh, dwelt among us, paid the price for our sins, God Almighty in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And yet, it includes this triumphal entry, this significant event. Look with me at John, um, excuse me, Matthew chapter 21. It says that when... When they, speaking of Jesus and his disciples, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, when Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. This is a very messianic title that they were giving to Jesus. Hosanna, save now, O Son of David. They knew the prophecies. There were a handful of people who were faithful. They knew who Jesus was, and they were ready for him. But unfortunately, the vast majority of Israel had no idea. They had no clue. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And we're going to look at verse 39 through 44. And immediately after that, notice what the Bible tells us. It says, And some of the Pharisees 
as Jesus was making this entry into Jerusalem on the donkey, some of the Pharisees called to him, to Jesus, from the crowd, saying, Teacher, rebuke your disciples, because they were giving him a very messianic title, and they were recognizing that their hearts were filled with faith, and they knew what the prophecies had told about him coming in. Again, a handful, a remnant knew this, but the vast majority, including the religious leaders, they had no idea, and so they were upset with Jesus. Jesus, rebuke your disciples. And notice what Jesus tells them. But he answered and said unto them, I tell you that even if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And I wonder what song they might have sung. I kind of wish they were silent. Have you ever had a rock rock, uh, chorus? And I believe they would (laughs) have. Maybe they would sing the hymn, Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages. But notice, now as he went near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, and he's speaking to Jerusalem and the people in it, if you only knew, especially in this, your day, this day that he was writing in, if you knew this day the things that belong for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. And why is this going to happen? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Yes, you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus held them accountable for this event. This triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, like I said before, is one of the most significant fulfillments in Bible prophecy. And it's an event in the life of Jesus that ties in with Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, which has been said, and I believe this with all my heart, is the key to all end-time prophecy in the Bible. And so this is a significant event that has happened as Jesus rode in on Notice in verse 12, back in our text in in John chapter 12. And we're going to look at this. The next day, it says that after... Again, this is the next day after the supper with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem... They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, which means save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Quoting from Psalm 118, the people were as they began to to cry out. And um, verse 14, it says, Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, he sat on it as it is written. And uh, Matthew, as we just read, notice that it tells us that it was a male colt, a young male colt that he rode upon. And his mother, the, the female donkey, the donkey's mother, came along with him. But, but Jesus sat on the young colt whom, upon whom no one has ever sat on before. Has anybody tried to sit on a wild animal that has never been saddled, never been broken, never been trained? Yet Jesus did. And to me, it's just one of those interesting things that God, the creator of all things, has control over his creation. 
as Jesus caused the waters to still when they were out in the boat, remember, in the Galilee, and the storm came up, Jesus was able to calm the storm. He had control over nature. He has control over everything that he's created. Even this young donkey, this male young donkey, he had con- complete control over. The thing didn't try to buck him wildly off like a, like a rodeo, and it would have for any other person. But Jesus rides in on this donkey. And notice in verse 15 in our text, it says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. And here is a quote from Zechariah. Several hundreds of years prior to this event, Zechariah the prophet says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. In fact, in Zechariah, it says this. Let me just quote it to you. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. I think the prophet had it. He understood what was, what was coming yet in the future. He's not just coming into Jerusalem. No, he has salvation. He was going to be the one who would die in the place of every man and woman in the entire human race. He would be the one. He is coming to you, Jerusalem. And he is just, and he's having salvation. And here's a sign for you. He's going to be lowly and riding on a donkey, actually a colt, the foal of a donkey, written hundreds of years prior to its coming to fulfillment. I think it's pretty significant. And the Jews knew this verse. They knew this verse. But just like you and I, life can take over, and here they are. The majority of them, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, many of them don't have a clue of who he is. There's a remnant. There was a remnant. They were a very small group of people who knew what Jesus was doing. A very small But he comes on a donkey, not a horse. Throughout history, we know that kings or generals, when they had conquered a city or a land, they would often come riding in to the end of their hometown, riding on a on a on a on a on a white horse or a horse, a stallion of some kind, in victory, often having the loot from the land or even prisoners that they had taken captive would be in the entourage as these generals or kings would make their way back into their hometown, claiming victory. That's what Titus Vespasian did. When you look on the in uh in, in Rome and you see the um the ar- um uh the arc there, the arch, it has a picture on the side of them, of Titus Vespasian coming into Rome with the slaves that they had taken captive, the Jews. And it shows them with the menorah coming into Rome with the menorah. Very similar thing. And a king would do that when he's coming to conquer. But Jesus came to save. He didn't come to conquer yet. He didn't come to conquer yet, but there is a time when he is coming that he will conquer. And let me just read it to you because this is one of my favorite portions of Scripture, and I'll just read it to you. You can see it. um, uh, Well, you see the reference. You can write it down. But notice what's going to happen when Jesus finally does come back in his second coming. He's not going to come as the meek and mild Jesus laying in a manger paying the price for sin. No, he's already done that. But when he does come back, he's going to come back with vengeance. He's going to come back with vengeance. And he's going to exact judgment on this world. It is still yet future to us. After the church has been raptured, there's going to be a time, we've looked at this in Revelation, of seven years of great tribulation where the man of sin will rise. Some 
a notable European ruler will rise and he will revive the old Roman Empire and he will be the one that will unite the world in a one-world government, a one-world economy, and a one-world religion. And all those things right now concurrently are beginning to form very nicely. We looked at that a few weeks ago. It's all happening. And yet... At the end of that, Jesus will come back. And what does it tell us in Revelation 19, verse 11? Let me read it to you. Now I saw heaven open, John says, as as God has given in this vision. And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except for himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Who is this king of glory as we sang it is jesus christ coming back and no he's not coming back with and and to save souls he's coming back to exact vengeance upon a world that has rejected his only offer of salvation are you ready for that and i say that because if you're a christian you'll never see this you'll be coming back with him the bible tells us that in fact let's go on and look what it says So he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Guess what? That's you and I. We're coming back. After we're raptured, we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, given new bodies, but we will come back with him, and he will exact the vengeance, and we will just be coming back with him to the earth for a thousand years. The Bible calls it, The thousand-year reign of Christ, we know it as the millennium. But notice, the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will will rule them, excuse me, with a rod of iron. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. And here's his name, that wonderful name the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who's coming back on a white horse. He came first on a donkey, but when he comes back again, folks, he's coming back with the king of all creation, and it's not going to be pretty for those on the earth. For those on the earth. Do you think God loves people? He does. God says that he does not delight in the death of the wicked. He does not. It's not his will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, to turn around from their wicked ways and to follow him and to be born again. So Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. He should have been heralded by the Jews, by everyone, but he was not except for a few. And notice the indictment that he tells them at the, at the, at the bottom there of Luke chapter 19. He's going to allow the city to be leveled. It was around 30, 32 A.D., somewhere in that area. And Jesus told them at that time, around 30, between 30, around 32 A.D., because you did not know the time of your visitation, you didn't understand what this event was all about, you should have known Jerusalem. You should have known Jews who have studied the Word of God, who have known about it. You should have known this. And in Jesus, when he's speaking in these verses, in verse 43 and 44 in Luke's Gospel, when it talks about that there'll be no, no stone left, um, uh, no, that they would leave, not leave, 
One stone wouldn't be left upon another. In other words, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.